We're going to be intimate today. All right, I'm going to pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. In Christ's name, amen. So today I'm going to focus on the third servant song in chapter 50. The song has some distinctive features. It's the most personal of the servant songs. The servant speaks of his, on his own of himself. It's not a conversation back and forth between him and Yahweh. The servant makes it clear that the Lord has spoken to him, and he refers four times to the Lord God in verses 4, 5, 7, and 9. The servant is a disciple, one who is equipped by God for work, and suffering is a significant part of the servant's experience. The servant's suffering is going to connect us to next week's lesson. In looking at the third servant song, the idea of looking at a picture keeps coming back to my mind. My mind drifts over across the sea to one of the world's most famous paintings of a woman. She has a trace of a smile on her lips. The painting is small, and overall it's not colorful. And the woman is not what we would consider conventionally beautiful today. Yet people flock by the thousands to see her because of the renown of her maker. Who is she? Mona Lisa. So I just keep on getting, I've been to the Louvre once, but I keep on getting that picture in my mind where you see all these people crowded to look at this little thing, and the word is much bigger. The word of the Lord far surpasses any work of art made by human hands. Its source is the source of every hand that has ever made a work of art, composed music, or designed a strong tower. God the Creator speaks through Isaiah the prophet in ways that are rich with imagery. As Isaiah speaks of the servant, we get pictures of what the servant is like. The substance of these pictures, we know, is not paint and canvas. It's the word of the servant's own testimony of himself. His words are faithful and true, and they will not pass away. So let's begin with verse 4. I'm not going to go verse by verse, um, but I'm going to highlight some things. Starting with verse 4 of chapter 50, using Alec Motier's devotional translation. The sovereign Yahweh has given me the disciple's tongue so as to know how to speak a word in season to the fainting one. He rouses morning by morning. He rouses my ear to hear, as is the case with disciples. What picture does this give us of Jesus, who is the servant? For one, he has a posture of deep humility. He is one who is under instruction of God. The purpose of this divine tutelage is not for the servant's own benefit or the servant's own glory. The purpose is outward, so that he can give consolation to the weary. Because we have the New Testament, we have the advantage of seeing the servant in action in the world. And what does that look like practically? to see the servant acting on the instruction of the Lord God to give comfort to the fainting. In John 5, the word tells us that after Jesus healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, a man who had been lame for 38 years, the Jews railed against Jesus because he had healed a man on the Sabbath. 
and he had called God his father. In response to his detractors, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. So the servant in Isaiah makes it plain that he is one who is under instruction. When the servant receives instruction, we see that it is by the divine initiative of the Lord God who inclines the servant's ear to hear his instructions. The servant receives the word of instruction willingly. He does not rebel or disobey the word he has been given. And this affirms the servant's posture of humility. He understands who he is in relation to the Lord God. He sees himself as one who is under authority, God's authority. Furthermore, he honors that authority and does not resist it. The servant is a contrast to Israel, which we get in chapter 49. They hear or they do not hear. Um, but they, when they hear, they do not understand the word of the Lord. or They consciously turn away from it and do not obey. And they pursue a path of sin and idolatry. And in contrast, here is the servant who submits to the will of God. The testimony of the servant tells us that he is subjected to great adversity, and he does not resist the place where God has ordained him to stand. In today's lesson, one of the cross-references that Kathleen Nielsen gives us is to Matthew 27, where we read about how Jesus was mocked and beaten and spat upon and had a crown of thorns put on his head, and he was led to his crucifixion. The trial and death of Jesus is specifically what this prophecy in the third servant song points to. There is no question that what the servant speaks of in Isaiah 50 is ultimately what came to pass in Matthew 27. The accusations, the attempt to shame, the mockery, the beating, and the crucifixion. The servant knew before time that he was bound to suffer. When Jesus stood before the civil authorities, he did not plead his case for his innocence. Rather than pleading his own cause, he allowed himself to be condemned to death, the death of a criminal, and we know that it was much worse than that. He, the guiltless, had to bear the sins of us, the guilty. So we see in Isaiah 50 that along with humility and submission to God's will, the servant displays resilience in the face of great suffering. He is willing to obey and submit to the horrendous circumstances, not because he is passive, but rather because he is active in his obedience to God. When we look at the picture of the servant, we also see unshakable faith in Yahweh, which is unlike the faith of the Israelites, who wondered if God truly remembered them in their suffering. In the midst of great suffering, the servant has great faith in the Lord God as his sustainer. In verse 7, again from Motir's devotional translation, the servant says, The sovereign Yahweh will help me, therefore I will not be abashed, which the uh, ESV translate as disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not reap shame. In spite of the suffering he must bear, the servant knows that shame is not his inheritance. He professes belief that God will help him through his trials. In Luke 9, 51, we see this faith in action. As the apostle tells us that when the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. 
Jesus set his face toward the place he knew where he would die. In Isaiah 50, the servant isn't touching on small hardships. Indeed, we know that the gospel, from the Gospels that the religious Jews hated Jesus, that they wanted to kill him, they wanted to ensure that he was silenced by being put to death. And we see that the servant in Isaiah and the servant in the Gospels, they both face forward to the will of God. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross and despised the shame associated with his death. The joy that was set before him was the glory of his Father in the redemption of sinners. In the center of that third servant song in Isaiah 50, there's a proclamation that should bring joy to all of our hearts. It's a picture of protection through authority, strength, and proximity. The servant says, He who vindicates me is near, or as Motir translates it, near is the one who pronounces me righteous. The word near can mean place, can mean time, and it can also mean personal relationship. And with the servant in Isaiah 50, it's all three. We know that with Christ's servant and the Lord God, the sovereign Yahweh, it is all of these things because God is first and foremost near to him in personal relationship. If you go back to forward to John 5, remember what Jesus called God. He called him his father. We know that the Lord God is near the servant in time because the servant says, morning by morning, the Lord inclines the servant's ear to hear. The Lord is also near the servant in place because it is the Lord God who helps the servant in his affliction. It is the Lord God who declares him righteous when others call him guilty. Because the servant understands and is confident in the nearness of God, the servant knows that no one can condemn him. Look, he says, the Lord God helps me. No one can declare me guilty. Everyone who stands to accuse him will ultimately be turned to dust. In verse 10, the servant proclaims hope for those who, like him, honor the Lord God. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Here the servant highlights a different kind of disciple, one who fears God, one who obeys the voice of the servant himself, and yet the disciple is one who walks in darkness and has no personal light or wisdom to trust in. The servant exhorts this disciple to trust in the name of the Lord and to rely on his God. The same God who led Christ the servant will lead those who obey his voice. And obeying literally means to listen, to hear, and to do. The servant himself set this example in that he listens to the Lord's voice and follows the instruction that he's given. So how does the servant live out this example for us, for those who trust in the Lord? The Apostle Peter writes in his first letter, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin. Nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. 
This is the purpose of God's redemptive mission, that we might die to sin, die to our own way, die to the need to walk by our own light, the light of our own fires, die to our best ideas, and die to worldly wisdom, and to live to righteousness. As we look at the picture of Isaiah, um, excuse me, the servant in Isaiah 50, there are many beautiful things that we can see about Christ and his relationship to God, which illumine our understanding of our own relationship to God. We see that the Lord leads the servant, the Lord is near the servant, and the servant has placed his confidence in God. First, the Lord speaks to him and instructs him. Like the servant, the Lord speaks to us. He gives us counsel and he gives us instruction in his word. And some counsel is easier than others. Truly, it's a lot easier to contemplate the commands of Jesus Christ in the Gospels than it is to read a book like Isaiah, Isaiah's heart, which is why we study it together. Um, It's a lot easier to think about what does it mean to love one another as I have loved you? What does it mean to come to Jesus for rest? But Isaiah is part of this large redemption story. And everything that it is in Scripture, that is in Scripture, is worth our time and our attention and the struggle that it takes to learn and understand it better. Here in Isaiah 50, we have the model of obedience of the servant who proclaims his confidence in the sovereign Lord who will help him in his, in his affliction. And that counsel will take you to the end of your life to believe that God is with you. Um, ten, ten years ago this month, I was uh, in the hospital up on 8th Avenue. I was very sick with complications from an autoimmune disease. And yet I begged the doctor to please let me go home. And he looked at me very calmly and he said, if I let you go home, you will die. And so I backed off. (laughs) Because, not because I didn't want to be, like the idea was tempting (laughs) to be free from suffering. But my mom was there and I didn't want to put her through that. Um, She certainly wasn't going to let me go home. But I can remember John Weiser sitting on the end of my hospital bed, and he read to me from Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, and they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and when the flame, the flame shall not consume you. And when John was reading to me, he emphasized that the scripture did not say if you walk through the waters, it said when. And some of our wins are really long wins, um, yet the scripture promises that God will help us in our affliction. And this doesn't often look like the help that we want. I mean, I, I felt so sick, and I remember going into the bathroom and just holding a wash rag over my face and sobbing and thinking, I don't understand why the Lord doesn't help me. I was, it was bad. But I can also promise you I did not feel like the Lord was with me. However, um, I do know it's possible to feel his presence. In that circumstance, I did not feel it, and yet I saw God miraculously act on my behalf through the prayers of this church. And the Lord was near me through his people. I called Gail and I said, would you please bring me salad? And she did. And Paulette Rook came and brought me a copy of Daily Light. And many of you came and um, when I was there and when I was out, the church ministered to me and God was near me and his people. So that leads me to the second jewel in the third servant song, nearness. In the words of Isaiah 50, we see a picture of a servant who is faithful, 
God ordained his life to include the greatest suffering in all of human history. And in the midst of that suffering, the servant believed in the nearness of God. The thing that sustains and consoles the servant is the assurance that the Lord God is mighty to save, able and willing to obey him in his, help him obey in his suffering, and that the Lord is near him in the midst of that suffering. That same nearness is a promise for you and me. The same word of nearness is proclaimed throughout the Psalms. And here are a few examples. So this is Psalm 48. I'm sorry, I transposed my numbers. 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 85, 9. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that the glory may dwell in our land. Psalm 119, 151. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. And finally, Psalm 145:18. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. So if you were walking in darkness and if you needed wisdom, if you faced a great threat, the thing that would be the greatest comfort to you, aside from being delivered from that hard time, would be to know that you were not alone, that the Lord saw your plight, and that the Lord was not far from you. The scripture tells us the truth. It's not opinions, it's not guesses about what might or might not be. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. The Lord saves. The Lord is close to his children in personal relationship, in time and in place. When we gather together here, the Lord is with us. When we go out from this place, the Lord is with us. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is with us. When you lose your spouse, your parent, your child, your job, your friend, your home, the Lord is with you. This is the truth. As I gaze on the picture of the servant in Isaiah 50, I see a man who displays an utter lack of worry I see a man who has an eternal perspective, and I want to be like that. Let's acknowledge that none of us here face the affliction that Jesus faced, but let's also acknowledge that being alive is attended with a lot of difficulty. There are a lot of joys, but there are a lot of hard things that come our way. Every day has its own trouble. And for my own part, I have to Fight the tendency to live outside of today, where I presently live, and fight that tendency to look into the future, wondering about the stability of my job. There have been layoffs at my company this year. Uh, Worry about my home. Worry about how much Tarrant County will charge me in taxes this year. Will my health fail? How long will my mom be okay on her own? To be like the servant, I have to look to God rather than letting the future and its potential troubles take up headspace and time. This is so much easier said than done. I I do have that proclivity to like run away like a little rabbit into the future. And so um, I have to really endeavor to stay present by looking at what I know is true. Circumstances change, but God does not. He was near to the servant in his affliction, and he is near to me and to you in all all of our days and all of our afflictions. And I want to end with two things that the servant commands us to do. 
One, obey his voice. And two, trust in the Lord. We are led by the Lord's voice in scripture and in prayer, where we ask God for wisdom and guidance. The Psalms tell us that the word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. God is able to lead you and guide you in obedience to him. The great commandments we are given are to love God and to love others. And that is plenty of work for each day. In your own strength, you cannot do it, but in the power of God, you can. The other thing the servant tells us to do is to trust in the Lord God. It is God's unchanging word, the word that is near us, on our lips, in our hearts, as Romans says, that builds our hope and confidence in the Lord. In the word, we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit at work. And the word is not a collection of stories. It is not a picture that we gaze on for a while and then walk away from. The word is the revelation of God himself. And we can trust in the Lord because he shows us in his word who he is eternally. Power, faithfulness, truth, righteousness, justice, and love. The Lord is near and he is able to grow our faith to be like the faith of the servant, his son. Let's pray. Lord, would you rouse us morning by morning to see your unfailing love, to seek your face, to love you, and to marvel in your sovereignty. We ask that you would be glorified in us as we leave this place. We also ask for your blessing and your provision today as the volunteers come to minister to the children for Super Wednesday. Father, we thank you for um, your word, that it does not return void, that you are the guarantee, uh, and we can trust you, Father. And it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's a couple of announcements.